You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, and I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, for an exciting, very exciting June off-season football podcast. Yeah, so we're trying to scrounge up uh, content ideas, trying to figure out the best way to go about these podcasts. And I'm an avid listener to NFL types of podcasts. As Bennett, I know we both listen to a lot of podcasts in our off time. Ways, you know, to improve the JMU Sports News podcast. Ways to, you know, really enhance the listening pleasure of our listeners. Um, and, and the ringer does a really interesting one. It's called three, it's called extra point taken. And the whole idea of that is each person says three takes during the normal NFL season. And then one of them has a fourth or quote unquote extra point taken. And I really like that idea. They did one about bold headlines five years from now. I thought we could kind of change that up a little bit. We both share three headlines that we expect to be reading at the end of this upcoming JMU football season. And I will have the extra point taken per se. So shout out to the guys over there on the Ringer NFL show for this idea. And then we can just kind of jump right on into it. There's not a lot of JMU sports news to round up here before we get into it. Um, but there is a lot of betting to do on Bet Online. Bennett, tell us about it. No, Bet Online, Jack, is where we go for all our betting needs, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they even have golf. Golf, uh, they, they got they got a little bit of everything, man. I mean, really, at the end of the day, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs. Like Bennett said. Uh, you can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, like you said, golf, and even more. Bet online continues to be the fastest and the easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, and all of your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your phone. So head to betonline.ag. You can use your mobile device too if you don't want to use your laptop or desktop. 
And when you sign up today and getting in on the action, remember to use promo code BLEAV. That is promo code BELIEVE, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You sign in, you want to put a hundred dollars down to get betting. They'll match that up to 50%. So $50 there in your account to help you bet as well. Bet online is where the game starts. And Bennett, do you want to take us away with the first uh, first headline? Sure, why not? I'm going to pull up my list here, make sure I have everything completely in order. Okay, so here's one that I like. I think it's been kind of a long time coming. It's not a positive headline. And okay. it's, I, took a, I took a little leeway with end of season, so I gave myself a little stretch after that. I think JMU is due for like a heavy transfer portal loss season. So I think it's going to be like, Dukes lose at least three major contributors after the season to the portal. Now, I go ahead. I fully agree with this. I think there you could play devil's advocate and go the other way with the 12 team expansion. And like, if you win the Sun Belt, you could make the college football playoff in 2024. So I think from that perspective, they might be able to keep some guys that they could otherwise lose. But I think they've been pretty impressive keeping most of their guys, with the exception of. What you got, Ukwu, Wells, McCormick, um, Tucker Dorsey. So, like a few guys, but it's been over a few seasons. I think they're due for a year when they could lose some big guys. And the other reason I say it is a lot of their redshirt seniors look like they'll be solid players. But some of the guys that have multiple years of eligibility, I think, are going to contribute and have a chance then if they want to, to move on. I can see any number of guys who are super talented decide to go Elsewhere, they have a lot of guys in the offensive line. You look at both of their stud linebackers and Taurus Jones and Jalen Walker could, I think, be power five players. You could even look, Aiden Fisher's gotten a lot of hype. If he steps up and plays a lot or if there's an injury, he's a linebacker with multiple years. Uh, Mikel Kamara is an absurdly talented defensive end when he's healthy. Like if, if Uku got SEC offers and Kamara plays a full season healthy, I think he could easily with multiple years, get SEC offers. It doesn't mean those guys are actually going to go, but those are just examples of like, they have underclassmen who are going to play, probably play well. And if they do play really well, I think there's a chance. Well, not a chance. There would be a decent amount of like tampering. So I could, I could see some guys going. I think JMU at some point is due for a tough off season in the portal. Yeah. One of my headlines that I ended up kind of trashing, throwing to the side and not using, but it was going to be, um, Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year, Jalen Walker, announces he enters transfer portal. Um, it was kind of like a dual-pronged one, but same idea. I think Jalen Walker, Taurus Jones are the two main people I see potentially jumping into that portal just because they are such strong linebackers. Um, granted, there's no one ahead of them, so they can kind of make their path forward, but Jalen Walker, 6'1", a little undersized for the NFL game. If you could go to an SEC school or a Big Ten school, uh, make a huge impact that way. You can kind of bolster his NFL stock. Um, so I'm right there with you. I think there's a lot of really good guys on this on this team with NIL. I think there's some tampering that can come along with it. Some of those bigger schools can offer bigger bags, and uh, I'm right there with you. Some of it too, just to quickly add on to that point, is like they do have some guys, especially defensively, that are really good with multiple years that are undersized, where like the lack of size could almost completely keep them from the NFL where I wouldn't blame someone if they said, I'm going to go take, you know, whatever paycheck the SEC team offers, whether yes. it's 50,000, a hundred thousand for a year 
knowing that their NFL career could be a kind of a challenge given their size. So it, it's a really a complicated decision if you're a college athlete, but I hope they keep everyone. But I think yeah. at some point it's going to, the portal is going to be tough, especially if they ever have more coaching turnover at the top. I agree. That leads us directly into this next, next headline, but a real quick aside, you said kind of undersized reminds me of Diamante Tucker Dorsey. He goes to yeah. Texas, essentially gets the bag. He is now a realtor in Austin, not going to the NFL. So get your money while you can. Would, yep. would not be surprised if we see some other guys do that. Next headline is head coach Kurt Signetti finishes final press conference as coach of JMU with a hearty go Dukes. He will be going to West Virginia after they fire Neil, Neil Brown midseason. I like this take. I think this has strong legs. <laughs> um, yeah, so in case you haven't been listening to us talk about how this does have strong legs, um, I'll kind of go through it quickly. Neil Brown, he's not had a winning season at West Virginia except for that weird pandemic 2020 season. Overall, he has three games under 500 in his career as the West Virginia head coach. Uh, they just hired a new athletic director, Ren Baker, um, and he did keep Neil Brown. But if he has a kind of a slow start, don't be don't be surprised if Baker has a quick trigger on that firing. I mean, they did just fire. Um, why am I forgetting his name? Huggins. Oh, that was a slow trigger on Huggins, but they, uh... <laughs> it, was, it was a very slow trigger, but I mean, he, you, you've cut bait with that. That wasn't necessarily Baker's hire. So like, this is an opportunity for Maybe I'm looking too much into that firing. That was a really slow trigger, but like, this is his opportunity to really put a stamp on it by hiring the two biggest revenue sports in the athletic department. Um, and then on top of that, Signetti was a quarterback for West Virginia. Kurt Signetti's father, Frank Signetti Sr., was the head coach of West Virginia for a few years, was the head coach when Kurt Signetti first got to Morgantown. And while Kurt Signetti has expressed interest in wanting to stay at JMU, he is 62 years old. I think the perfect job opportunity would have to come up for him to leave the Valley. And I think West Virginia is the only school that could pull him away from JMU and, uh, with everything tied to it, I could see some West Virginia donors really backing up that uh, Brinks truck, maybe paying him a quite a bit hefty more than what JMU's paying him. And I would not be shocked if Kurt Signetti goes to West Virginia. So that's my headline. I could see him going a few other places, but I think West Virginia would be top of his list. And it is worth noting that he's very strategic with his move. So that's a pretty good point about West Virginia probably being maybe one of his few destinations, if any. Because he did, he did leave Alabama as a like high-profile assistant to become the head coach at a Division II school <laughs> that his dad coached at. Like that was a very personal and like intentional move that most coaches are not going to make. And then he went to the FCS ranks, and then you know I'm sure he had Elon. He got them better pretty quick. He probably had some other chances before uh, making the JMU leap, and has passed up on some other ones. I know he's been floated for like Mac opportunities and like people will report that and he'll just reply and be like, I'm not going to Buffalo. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> he's, he definitely puts a lot of thought into where he's going to go. I'm interested to see what happens with that. Cause if he has a good year, he's going to be on a lot of, a lot of lists. Yeah. No he'll be on a lot of short lists. If JMU has half of the success they had last year. And if he, and I, if, if he makes Jordan McLeod into a top tier or whoever the quarterback is, I know the quarterback is not designed in, but like oh, whoever man. the quarterback is, Jordan McLeod, 
uh, if he builds them into another Sun Belt, all Sun Belt caliber player, and now you've done yeah. that with Danucci, Johnson, Centeo, and then Jordan McLeod, that is even more fuel to the fire. Yeah, it is. Do we go back to you for for the second of our choices? No, we go we go back to you. We keep going in order. Okay, cool. I think uh, headline will have JMU wins first bowl game, completes double digit win season. So okay, I, think I like okay. Be, I think they're going to get into a bowl. I think there will end up being not enough teams, which is kind of just like luck of the draw. It's kind of hard to predict that, but I could see that happening. And the more I look at the schedule, the more I look at the roster, the more I think they're going to win 10 games, especially if they get that 13th game in a bowl game. It's just like you look at some of the teams last year, what Troy, South Alabama, both won 10 plus, I think. Uh, Coastal's done that a bunch in the past. I don't really think Coastal's that much better as a program, if at all, right? They got 40 pieced in Harrisonburg last year. I know the schedule is hard, but like, I just feel like JMU has the roster, yeah, the team. That if they can get through that tough opening start, they're going to kind of go on a run. And I love the the end of the season. Old Dominion, Georgia State, UConn, App State, Coastal. I don't think that's going to be overwhelming. And I think the first three of those are all really winnable. Um, and then if you can get App State at home and, and play Coastal on the road last game of the year, I just feel like they're in a good spot to, to grab, you know, nine and go to a bowl or even 10 and two. Is this coastal final week of the season going to become a regular thing? Because now it's back to back years where they're like, are they trying to make that into something that I think a few other teams would fit better there? But are they not make sure. Not sure. I would think the ODU on rivalry weekend would be cool, but I also love that they've stuck it like when it's kind of easier to get to instead of like two days after Thanksgiving. So I will yeah. say from that perspective, I like it. But yeah, it's maybe they're trying to make it a rivalry, but. McCall better play if they want to make it a rivalry this year because that was damn right. That was yucky. Damn right. All right. You ready for my next one? Yes. Jordan McLeod nine. <laughs> <laughs> the quarterback, the, the quarterback wows in his first year in the valley. I like that one. Thank you. McLeod, he hasn't played football since 2021 with Arizona, did not see any action last year in 2022. There are some question marks around him. I, I brought it up to you when we were texting pre-episode, and I did uh, neglect to bring up quite a uh, – I, I forgot to incorporate like yards lost from sacks, which impacts your rushing statistics quite a lot, and I forgot about that. So, you know, that's on me. But So I was crunching some numbers. Are you ready for this? Yes. So we all talk about kind of the increase – that quarterbacks have seen when Kurt Signetti takes over and, and they come into this JMU system. Ben DiNucci, his total yards per game before Kurt Signetti came was 223 per game. Uh, with Kurt Signetti, it jumped up 15% to 262 yards per game. Cole Johnson saw a 15% increase as well. Uh, Todd Santeo saw a 7.7% increase going from 296 yards per game at Colorado State that jumped all the way up to 321 yards per game with Kurt Signetti. Jordan McLeod, some of his numbers are a little iffy. He's never been a starter for an entire season. 2020 with South Florida was the closest he ever got to being a full-time starter. That season, he had 194 total yards per game. And if we kind of take the average of what Kurt Signetti has done with the past three quarterbacks, we can assume that there will be about a 12.4% increase in his total yards per game, meaning he'll 
throw and pass for about 219 and about two touchdowns per game. Uh, with all of that being said, I think there's a little bit more room for growth with Jordan McLeod's game. I think Ben DiNucci was a little older in his kind of time. He had been at Pitt. He had been playing a lot in that system. Cole Johnson was a four-year backup and then had COVID and things like that. But he was kind of polished up. Todd Santeo, I didn't realize how good he was before coming to the Valley. I think Jordan McLeod is a little bit more raw than all of those guys and allows Kurt Signetti to kind of mold him a bit more than past ones. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a 15 to 20% increase in what his total yards per game is, what his passing touchdowns are per game but even if you kind of take the average of what the other quarterbacks have done in terms of growth he's set to have a really good season that could give him kind of all sunbelt player of the year types of honors so um i am very high on jordan mcleod and i think he will dazzle this year for the dukes if he's a guy i think you could go and say he can do a 50 percent increase i think he'd get to like 300 yards per game i think he would be Big time. He had a couple in there where he was on a pretty short leash randomly. Yeah. So he's he's an interesting one because if he's whoever starts, I think has got a chance for a really big year because the offensive line's good, running game's good, added a lot of receiver in the portal. Like they should be good. Yeah. So yeah, if, if Signetti keeps the quarterback whispering train going, be pretty darn good. It was also kind of shocking just to see the growth in each quarterback. Ben DiNucci went through from throwing just 175 yards per game before Signetti comes in. He was throwing 215 yards per game with Signetti, which was an 18.64% increase, which to me is quite astounding. And then and they also, I think they that. all like, and either is either the first Signetti or Cole Johnson's like full Signetti year or whatever, when he took a leap, the like touchdown to interception ratio gets so much better too. Like the interceptions drop like, crazy low yeah and their touchdowns explode mm -hmm. like we always knock on Signetti for having kind of an underwhelming red zone offense at times where it just seems like they kind of get one dimensional inside the 20 I mean there was a season mm -hmm. where we were just like harping on it year, yeah um but I never really realized how much of their touchdowns come from the air like all of these quarterbacks I mean, Cole Johnson, granted, his time was as a backup, so he just didn't get as many opportunities. But he was throwing 0.2 touchdowns per game. And then he was throwing 2.4 per game when he was the full-time starter with Signetti. Uh, Todd Santeo was throwing sub one touchdown per game. He was getting all those yards, but not getting a lot of touchdowns through the air. That jumped all the way up to two and a half touchdowns per game, throw passing touchdowns. Like, they really focus on that, whether it's kind of big play chunk plays or whether it's in the red zone. Uh, Signetti will give McLeod the opportunities to put up some some gaudy numbers, I think. And I think he'll take advantage because athletically, he seems like yeah. the most athletic quarterback since Danucci, and I would argue potentially even more athletic than Danucci. He's got some legitimate speed. So I'm I'm interested to see what happens with that fall battle, I guess, and see where he and Barnett stand because it'll – if it is Barnett, he's going to have to showcase like a lot of reliability as a redshirt freshman because I don't yeah. think Signetti really – not that he doesn't tolerate interceptions, but I think the way that they like scheme stuff up is like if you're throwing multiple interceptions a game, you're doing something pretty wrong as the yes. quarterback. So yes, I think that'll be interesting to see. I think McLeod's got a chance to be really special. And uh, if he does do it again, Signetti, 
and stays in Harrisonburg, which we've <laughs> kind of, I don't know if we're expecting that, but I think that would sort of boost recruiting a lot where they wouldn't have to rely in the future on some of the portal stuff. But it sounds like maybe they're getting closer to that with Barnett and some other guys, but that's another thing that's just fun to monitor is like, what's the future of the quarterback position? Well, even then, like if he has all these years of creating these transfer quarterbacks and turning them into gold, like you saw the quarterback carousel this last offseason, Bo Nix, yeah. um, Quinn Ewers didn't try, Hudson Card, Graham Mertz. Like, Rattler transferred the year before, I guess. Yeah. It seemed, seemed like he took a step at South Carolina at times. So like these guys who may have been former five stars or former four yeah. stars with a lot of hype and they didn't have the start of the college career, you look and you see, oh, snap, Signetti, this, this team in Harrisonburg, Virginia – has a lot of success. They'll give me an opportunity to win some bowl games with an expanded college football playoff. They may give me a chance to play in the college football playoff in an up and coming conference. Maybe I'll go there and, and kind of jump up. I mean, if Centeo finds his way onto a CFL roster or even gets a mini camp invite or kind of a tryout type of thing, um, that will be, I think his third quarterback. I think Cole Johnson had some looks, um, he put Ben DiNucci into the NFL. You get Cole Johnson yeah. getting looks. You get Todd Santeo getting looks. I mean, that's a really good track record. If Jordan McLeod goes out there, balls out, he's improved all of these quarterbacks. And then not only that, if McLeod somehow gets drafted or finds his way onto an NFL mini camp roster or even a, a training camp roster, that's a really good track record for a team of JMU's kind of pedigree. Yeah, he's done a great job at the quarterback position. And Eventually, they'll probably send some more guys, I would think, into the NFL. And if you can have a guy who starts for multiple seasons under Signetti, you add a little more yeah. tape. He's had a couple of those with the Nucci and Centeo, where it's just sort of that one year. And Johnson kind of felt like it was only really one year where he clicked. So it's even harder than to get scouts, especially only one guy as an FBS quarterback during that tenure. So it's, yeah, he put Nucci in the NFL, right? Even playing FBS season. Yeah. So I think that's that's some exciting stuff there to see what happens with the rest of that. It'll be a big off-season storyline to follow. My final one. Hit me. Similar to what we're talking about with the NFL, I think they're going to end the season with one, at least one, like clear-cut, this guy is going to be drafted, and I think they'll have a guy drafted. Who is it? My guess would be Kidwell if he stays healthy. I think he's one that could easily – I think he was second-team all-sun belt last year. So if he puts up another second team or first team Sunbelt season, you've got two FBS seasons. He's like 6'5", 315, could slide him in easily at guard. There's just so many times in the draft from round like rounds three through seven <laughs> where they're just like rattling off like these guards from like smaller schools or like even, even way smaller than JMU, right? Where you're talking about like D2s and FCS. Yeah, I think him at like a sizable good Sunbelt school would um, if he can po post another season, stay healthy. Cause they've had a few guys the last few years that like were NFL caliber players that kept getting hurt right around the yeah. draft, like Fornado and stuff that if, if Kidwell stays healthy, I think he'll get picked. Do you think anyone on the defensive side? Defensive side's a little tougher. Cause some of their, I guess I kind of see like some of their better guys are younger. Um, a little younger, but I think defensive line, you could maybe have a little something going on there. They've, they've got some talent with like Chromey or Chromey, Chroma <laughs> and um, what is it? Nwabaku Akonji, um, our Minnesota transfers, that's what I just like to call them. But it, the, both those guys have, they got a lot bigger in the offseason, according to the roster. They're like 6'3, six, 6'4. Six, Are they four. in the best shape of their lives? I, they must be because they're about like 270. And I think Jesus. they moved, moved them to edge. Like they were 
lighter last year and played inside, <laughs> at least Chroma did. So at, at that size, both of them originally started at Big Ten schools, which I think helps a little bit when you're a, like a scout and you're kind of lazy, which it feels like some of the teams are when guys are like have power five pedigree. They're like, oh, he's legit. <laughs> so I don't know. I could see I could see that happening. Those two guys. Um, I don't know if there's anyone else that that jumps off the page. I think the defense will be solid, but a lot of those younger guys might contribute. All right. Duke's defense destroys all offenses. Dominant season. JMU will finish as one of the best defensive units, not in the Sun Belt, in the entire nation. Chauncey Logan Heisman campaign? I mean, maybe. So JMU finished last season as the fifth-ranked defense based on EPA per play. So expected points added per play. It's a really good metric if you're kind of looking for the overall efficiency of a certain unit of a quarterback. It's really helpful. So each play, the defense took away points essentially is what that kind of formula is saying. And then from the final two deep of last season against coastal, they've only lost three of those players. If Uku came back, I would have been a lot, a lot, a lot higher, but they didn't really lose much of anyone in the secondary. I think they lost Jordan Swan and that was it. So you got to assume that secondary takes a step forward led by Chauncey Logan with Brett Austin behind him and Travell Mullins, a former four-star recruit that was at Indiana, came to JMU in this offseason. Big-time transfer addition. Add in that back that back seven, the secondary, they're getting their kind of legs wet. They're figuring things out. And then the front seven is going to, I think, take a step forward. You have Torres yeah. Jones, Jalen Walker, Trent Hedricks, Aiden Fisher, the two linebacker backups. They apparently get a lot of buzz for who knows why, but I mean – the, the 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 duo of Jones and Walker I think is one of the best linebacking duos in all of the Sun Belt, and then the front defensive line is just so 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 deep. They may not have an Isaac Ukwu, they may not have you know a Rondell Carter, they may not have a John Daka. Where we're used to these guys in past years that can just take over a game and dominate. They don't necessarily as of right now. No one's jumped off the page kind of as that guy who we expect to be like that but they're just so deep in every single spot on the two deep, either one can start. And so when you're going through a guy who's had 50% less snaps than the offensive lineman across from them, it's going to make for some really, really good trench play from the Dukes defense. I think they'll be one of the best units in the nation again. They got a good chance to be. I think last year it all sort of started with like, nobody could run the football against them. Yeah. Which is like a pretty massive, thing to have and it seems like with the linebackers coming back and a lot of the defensive line coming back and some good guys james carpenter sort of headlining the guys in the middle yeah if you can stop the run like they did where they were what i don't know if they finished first maybe there was first second third somewhere in there i think they i think marshall was actually first so they're pretty good in terms of stopping the run if they do that again yeah and like you said secondary takes a little bit of a step defense should be really really good um, and if they, you know, if McLeod plays the way we think he can, it should be a special season for him. Let me double down on it too. I think if the offense can average 19 points per game, that will be Which... more than enough. <laughs> Just like the lowest standard. <laughs> I'm going to look up who is the worst scoring offense. Don't you, you'll have to guess the worst scoring offense in the Sun Belt last year. Southern Miss. Maybe. It was actually Old Dominion. Oh, wow. Can you guess how many points they averaged? 
23 points per game? (laughs) 19.5. So (laughs) So if JMU can have the worst (laughs) offense in the sub belt, that's they're fine. (laughs) Okay, maybe 21 points per game. But like, you get what I'm saying. Like, I think the offense does not have to pull its weight at all with this defense. Like, I think teams will be struggling to put up three touchdowns per game. And then they'll play Georgia Southern once, and then they'll put up 60, and we'll have our whole lives ruined. Last year, JMU, worth noting, led the Sun Belt in scoring with 37 points a game. That's impressive. That is impressive. And I you think should, that, you know, should put up 60 in the opener against Bucknell or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's true. Um, so before I hit the last one, do you have any, any random ones you want to throw in? Any kind of ones that were left on the cutting room floor? Not too many. Those were kind of the main ones. I had one other one that was, uh, no, it was just the Signetti getting a new job one, which I think has a very real possibility. Yeah. Other one that I was toying with, but I don't think they're there yet, is I think at some point they're going to like, they're going to lose in the portal. I also think they might, with the NIL stuff they're working on in the next couple of years, like sway some people to stay, especially if the Sun Belt, whether it's Jamie or another Sun Belt team, send somebody early in the 12 team playoff i think it gets more like oh shoot like they send guys to the nfl they can play in the playoff they're working to like make sure i can get some money i think you get to a point then where it's like well if the culture's good and i'm gonna have a good time for four years gotta put them on the list i like it um i do want to say one thing before i say my last headline um and i don't think i said it during my jordan mcleod segment mm-hmm. jordan mcleod will win sunbelt player of the year Bold. I have to say it because I said that about Todd Santeo last year, and I said no, he was the right. offensive player of the year, and it was right, but I couldn't find it on any podcast. So remember, on our June 21st episode of the Jamie Sports News podcast, I'm saying Jordan McLeod is going to win Sunbelt Player of the Year. All right. You know what would be the funniest outcome? If he wins Offensive Player of the Year? No, if Alonzo Barnett wins it. <laughs> no, it'd be the funniest. <laughs> Just yeah. like right position, right idea, wrong guy. <laughs> would that would that rival your Connor Mitch take, or would that surp- you? I don't think Connor so because I think like I don't think Connor Mitch was even close to Brian Shore. Where like I think they could JMU this year could probably play either quarterback and like we have a winning record. Well, I mean, according to me, you could score 19 points per game and have that a was yeah, record. I love that. The offense, I want you to borderline not even show up most of the time. <laughs> um, last headline I have expansion. Where we're going, we don't need expansion. JMU athletics can't get concessions right. You expect them to expand well. Talking about expanding Bridgeforth. <laughs> it's not happening. I, I think that your headline I think, is no Bridgeforth expansion. Yep. I think at the end of the season, they're going to come out and, and they, they hear all the noise, right? They hear all the expand, finish it, finish the dome, tear down Godwin, put up another 25,000. I think JMU is listening. And at the end of the season, they're going to come out and say, no, we're not doing this. This there's way too many things that need to be done for this to happen. One, you have to tear down Godwin. Two, you have to consistently sell out Bridgeforth. This is my biggest one. Last season, they averaged 22,966 fans per game, which is a really good number and one of the best numbers in the entire Sun Belt. But the thing is, Bridgeforth fits about 25,000. And depending on how they can work some things, it can get up to 26,000. That's what we saw with the Marshall homecoming game last year. So, like, you can fit a lot. So, you got to be averaging more than 25,000 people per game at Bridgeforth for them to even start thinking about expansion. In my opinion, you have to do it for multiple years. 
In 2021, granted it was FCS, so take it with a grain of salt. They averaged just 19,631 fans. Um, that number did come down quite a lot because of the playoff games they were hosting. The playoff games just didn't draw all that well. But this was the first time in 2022, this was the first time they had 25,000 tickets sold or more. Um, first, I don't know what I'm trying to say with this. Last season was the first time they had multiple games of 25,000 tickets sold or more since the 2018 season when I believe they did it three times. Um, 2018 Houston had all this hype. Everything was going forward. They didn't finish that. They did finish the year kind of underwhelmingly, but they just haven't been able to do that in such a long time. And now fans want it to be done. I think you need to sell out Bridgeforth on a consistent basis for multiple years before it is even thought of. We got to figure out concessions first. Yeah. No argument here. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's the same people who get mad that students leave at halftime in the Marshall game are like, what if we added 15,000 seats? Yeah. It's like, what do you, <laughs> oh, look at how bad it looks with everybody leaving. What if we made the stadium bigger? It's like, what do you, and, and I don't mean to be rude. Like, I don't think there's 15,000 more people. Like, when they do sell out the Marshall game, I think they've capped out the amount of people who are interested in going to the game. Maybe a few thousand aren't getting the tickets. But, like, yeah. there's not 15,000 people in a line trying to get Marshall homecoming tickets. I'm more interested, to be honest with you, and I'm not the, like, average fan necessarily, but I'm more interested in going to, like, basketball games where the – Games are shorter. They're <laughs> indoors. This is like such an old man take, but they're like, they're shorter. They're indoors. The experience we've had parking and getting out of the parking garage is actually Amazing. surprisingly incredible. Like they move you out of that thing. And there's a and, lot of, and cars if you want there. concessions, you don't, you don't miss an entire half of football. Concessions are great. You can, if you buy a ticket in like a certain section, you have your choice of seat from like 75 rows, like the like student <laughs> yeah. section GA which like depending on the game is still solid. You get some other tickets for pretty nice prices. Great arena. Basketball team's getting better. If they get some in-state games, like that's an easy thing to want to go to. For football, we went to the one game. Cold. Terrible. But it was it was an awesome game, but it was also just like a long experience where their concessions didn't work like in a way that made any sense. And it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a mess, but it was like a little bit It was clunky. a mess. It was a, no, you can yeah. say it was, it was a mess. I mean, we we got all our stuff. We got there. I know we, we kind of hashed this out during the podcast we had after the game, but like we get there, we get our stuff, we sit down. And then I think in like the first or second quarter, I was like, I want another hot cocoa. Mine's cold because we're sitting out in the 40 degree windy cold of the Valley. And then it was like an hour wait. Yeah. You can you missed like four fumbles from Jamie. <laughs> I did. I know. <laughs> I, I come back and I'm like, Oh, we're down four scores now instead of two. In the span it took you to get another drink, they went from and, and being mind you, I didn't to... even, I didn't even get a hot cocoa, mind you. I, I, I stopped. I said, it, I'm going gave up. They went from, um, from like knowing how to field kickoffs to not knowing how to field kickoffs to then relearning how to field kickoffs, <laughs> and then you return back to you. Like it was truly insane, the entire game. But also, some of the like road matchups are just as exciting to me. Like I think you're going to have a lot of fans, ourselves included who go to the UVA game. And that's like the big game of the year. It, Here, obviously they're not playing in Charlottesville annually, but that's like, that's a huge one. New headline. Dukes, Phil Scott stadium. 
I th- there, I do think there's gonna be a lot of purple in there. So I think that, I think they're gonna outsell Charlotte. I think they're gonna outsell UVA fans. Could be close. It's gonna be an awkward experience in there when there's more JMU fans. It's gonna be something. So that's um, yeah. It's it's just an interesting topic in general with like what's gonna happen with seating. But I, I love the um, I love the basketball arena. Not that I have anything against Bridge Fourth, but it also doesn't. I mean, it, it looks a little weird with the one side short, but not enough to like pour a million dollars into it because it's, it looks a little weird. It's also college football. Like, have you seen some of the stadiums right. that they play? Arkansas state had a waterfall. Yeah. They've got a, a gnarly little thing, but it's also like, like the, sun the Sunbelt's way better, but I guess the Virginia point I'm trying to make is like, you can't replicate like playing power five teams or the top Sunbelt teams. Like South Alabama does not, that's what is that family weekend this year? Doesn't move the needle. Like, I think you're going to get a lot of people, you're going to get a lot of people in there. They're setting like season, single season, whatever it is, season ticket sales numbers already. But at the same time, like South Alabama was awesome. But for like casual fans, or maybe more importantly, if you want to expand people in the larger community, I don't know that like South Alabama JMU is like a, a hot ticket for like, that's the thing with like when Virginia gets a lot of people in their stadium, there's like alumni and stuff. There's also like, a lot of people from neighboring Virginia towns that just grew up watching UVA play sports that show up. And I don't think JMU has that level of fandom yet where you can count on like 40,000 students and alumni filling it. So I think they kind of need to become like consistently national relevant to become like a bandwagon team throughout Virginia. I mean, you drive around Harrisonburg and I like how this has gone into expansion talk. Um, We've devolved into this as most podcasts do, but like, you, you drive around Harrisonburg and the, the lawn flags you see aren't JMU. It's Virginia <laughs> Tech. It's UVA. It's it's not the Dukes. And, and I guarantee you at Scott Stadium, like some of the people in that stadium, the people from neighboring communities are going to be Harrisonburgians. People from Harrisonburg are going to make that trip to root, root on UVA. Like, <laughs> like that's just – UVA is, is more common – as a fandom in the Valley than JMU is. And I think, like you said, over time, uh, JMU being more and more nationally relevant, they will become that. But as of right now, Harrisonburg residents, and this is no knock against a Harrisonburg resident. They don't really care about JMU football all that much. We were in the ABC store on the day of the Georgia state game. We're talking to this guy who goes, Oh, Georgia's in town, right? No, no, sir. It's Georgia State. But they're, they're the number one team, right? No, sir. Jamie's still undefeated. No, sir. They've lost two in a row. Like, there just <laughs> isn't that, like, connect yet. No, yeah. I think it's still getting there. And there's definitely more interest growing and, like, a respect around what they're doing. But it's not the same level of, like, power five teams in the state. Which is just to say, like, I think 25K is pretty solid for right now. And, yeah. like, if they – if they hit their wildest goals and like start going to the college football playoff, then yes, very rapidly you will turn like, you know, John Doe down the street from like a bandwagon UVA fan to a bandwagon JMU fan. The guy's going to want tickets because he lives 20 minutes down the road. So like you can, you can flip some like local fans pretty quickly. It's just one now that's hard, especially, and this is good that the TV and streaming are getting so much better. I think you can even count on alumni like even maybe even a little less for certain things like especially casual alumni fans it's pretty easy to just like you could go to homecoming yeah or you could like hey the game's on espn plus which a lot of people have 
or some of them are going to be on ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, where it's like, yeah, all right, like I'll just turn on my TV or streaming thing or whatever, watch the game, and then go do what I want to do. So it's, yeah, I, I think they have a great and like building fan base. But I agree. Like, let's get concessions down. Let's sell out for multiple seasons. Get it to a point where if you go to thirty-five or forty thousand, like your first season with that is, you're packing the place. Yeah, and also my final point on it: JMU with what they did last season with their average attendance still was near the top of the Sun Belt. I believe they're in the top three of Sun Belt teams in terms of attendance for home games. Okay, that that's great. Your first year in the Sun Belt, your first year in the FBS, you're one of the top drawing teams. That's awesome. That's fine. Just stick with that for a little bit. You don't got to be number one in that. That You're number one number one on the field, number one in our hearts. You don't have to be number one in the stands too. Yeah, because I feel like what App State's got a pretty loyal like local community of fans. Yeah. Where it's it takes some time to build that. Yes. does help to get Virginia on the schedule though. And take all of their fans. I agree. One where like App State has played North Carolina and like won and and shown that they're like a legit team. So I think that'll be kind of key is because you're not like competing with Richmond for fans at this point. You want to beat ODU. If you get Liberty on the schedule, which I think they do in a future one, you want to beat them. Don't really want their fans though. So just beat them and then like yell at their fans. And then even tech, like you start, you know, what, 2025? I think it is. Probably, it's coming up. Probably Alonzo Barnett for that one. First right? year of UT Rio Grande football. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're in 2025. They're a new team. What conference are they in? <laughs> Hell if I know. <laughs> I just saw it on Twitter today. We Their should head get coach them on tweeted, the schedule. Their head coach tweeted, 799 days till kickoff. That's a lot of days. You shouldn't have tweeted that. <laughs> <laughs> he was like doing a recruiting graphic. I was like, ah, okay. All the 14-year-olds are so hype. <laughs> I would be surprised if they're in the new new and improved conference USA. That's an ugly conference, man. They took out the hyphen, though. So they're just conference USA, no hyphen. That was a huge rebrand for them. Yeah, I saw them on Twitter. It was like, <laughs> all right, sweet. But, like, your teams are garbage. Uh, one of our last guests, the middle, middle Tennessee, when we had him on, um, I think his name Sam Doton. Yeah, was was tweeting about. It. He goes, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess this up a lot this season." <laughs> That's fair, man. That's gonna be a a struggle to adjust to that for a lot of people. All right, any more headlines? I don't think I have too many more. The off season summer is wearing on me. I'm ready for some. What are they? They start camping like early August. That's when it starts to feel real. Well, yeah, they start camp in August, and on top of that, we have a full summer of content slated and scheduled to be coming at you guys almost on a weekly basis. We're going to try and do the podcast still on a weekly basis. We'll see how that kind of uh, breaks down, some transfer portal breakdowns, three bold Sunbelt predictions coming up, Uh, best JMU quarterback of all time, best JMU athletes of all time, both podcasts and written articles coming your way. We'll maybe try and get Tommy Baker on the pod, maybe chat him up because we are, by all means, a uh, golf podcast first. And then Jamie football starts very soon, two months, two and a half months, 70, I think it was 79 days until kickoff of Bucknell. Hmm. So for Bennett Conlon, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See you.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.